Hi, everybody. I'm Mark Middleton with Bill Schaefer. We are so glad to have you with us today because you've really tuned into a show that's unlike any other. It's a show that offers up three things that we all need and never seem to get enough of. What are they? Well, they're hope, inspiration, and possibility. The show, of course, is called Growing Bolder, and it might just change your life if you let it. Whether you've been thinking about changing jobs, starting a hobby, taking an adventure, making a lifestyle change, or stepping up to face one of life's many challenges, over the next hour, you will find the inspiration and the motivation to do it. Now, here's how. Because on today's program, you're going to hear from Hall of Fame recording artist Kenny Rogers, who looks back on a career that's now in its fifth decade and forward to recording even more. And then a fashion consultant to the stars whose life opened up when she went public with her struggles against a debilitating disease. And we'll hear from a man who refused to let cerebral palsy hold him back from some incredible adventures. But first, a tongue-in-cheek look at the best and worst of aging. Amazing people, amazing stories. It's time for Growing Bolder. Well, this program's here to inspire you to make the most of your life, regardless of your age or the challenges you face. Aging happens to everybody, but we have more control over how we live the second half of our lives now than at any other time in human history. And that's a very serious way to lead into someone with a very humorous take on it all. Yeah, she's got a tongue-in-cheek look at aging through the talented eyes uh, of a comedian, an actor, an author who says that, yeah, aging isn't easy, but there is power in being bold enough to talk about it, to joke about the realities, both the good and the bad. She's put her stories and her thoughts into a new book that's called I See You Made an Effort. Let's say hello to the original host of the Superstation show, Dinner and a Movie, Miss Annabelle Gerwich. Annabelle, how are you? Hey, guys. I'm great. Uh, yeah, that was that was a very serious introduction to a a book of comedic essays. Well, let's get past the seriousness, but let me preface that by saying that we were just a little bit worried about this interview. Uh, We're big fans. We know you're great, but we spend most of our time, you know, trying to inspire people and and help them to believe (laughs) that they can do all these great things in aging. We were a little worried that this was going to be one of these greeting card over the hill kind of books, but it's not that at all, is it? Oh, gosh, no. You know, um, what I, I mean, listen, I just like to make fun of myself and every kind of indignity and you face in li- that you face in life. And listen, hitting 50, it was just one of those like uh, moments where I just thought, no, wait a minute. Is it possible 40, 50 follows 49, but, but it can't be right. The math must be wrong. But, you know, of course... Math doesn't lie, and I was having all of these experiences where I just thought, you know, you just you have to laugh about it. I mean, it's not. Well, first of all, I thought, okay, there's this saying, you know, fifty is the new forty, and I thought, wait a minute, nobody who's forty, when you're fifty, no one who's forty thinks you're the same age as them, unless you have a lot of tattoos. <laughs> and I just thought, this is this is really silly. That's really a canard, and we have to find a way to 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 really, you know. Um, 
go go through this experience and and uh, admit you know that uh, things have changed i mean i'm at the age now where if i eat a cashew i have to change into sweatpants <laughs> i mean you know it takes an effort to keep it to keep it keeping it you know and uh, i just thought we really have to laugh about it because the it's, it's what I always do in my writing is, you know, the hardest things that you ever go through, the biggest changes you ever go through, what gets me through is a sense of humor. And Annabelle, you, the other thing you do so well is you jump right into the hypocrisy of things, especially, you know, it's such a big industry uh, like beauty, especially when it comes to women. You talk about cosmoceuticals, which you need to tell us about, but you're saying it's not your superficial look as much as it is being healthy and projecting energy and being involved that really counts. Well, you know, what the, thing, the thing that I started to think about was that we were doing ourselves a disservice with this drumbeat of like, well, I was raised in the 70s, so I'm 53 now, and I just remember seeing those commercials, you're not getting older, you're getting better. Well, wait a minute, why are the two things exclusive? First of all, I might be getting better, but I am getting older. And and I just thought about the way the, the world you know, gets, tells you how to look and what to think. And I was standing at the supermarket. This is one of the reasons why I wrote this book. I'm standing at the supermarket, and I see a magazine cover, and I said, and it said, looking good at 20, 30, 40, and beyond. <laughs> uh, but they're, they're sending us to the great beyond. I thought, you know, wait a minute here. I've got I've to find a way to be the age I actually am and love it. And so well, first, first thing I did was I had a new business card made, which my business card says, Annabelle Gerwich since 1961. <laughs> I thought, well, listen, restaurants, they always you know, are touting like how long they've been in business. And I should be, I should, this should be a, a positive, you know. Of course, uh, the one problem with my business card is that I have an email address on it that I can't remember the password for. So I can't get it. If I give you my card, I can't, I can't answer your email. But, you know, that's one of the hazards of aging. Um, you know, but I started to think about this, and I started to think about all these, like, ways that people try to, you know, for, if you're a woman, you, you go to the, there's a, there's a story in the book about going to the, um, you know, department store, and you just, there's a gazillion, well, there is, it's a multi-billion dollar industry that's telling you that you have to, like, anti-aging, and there's, there's a product called Hope in a Jar, God, now that's just the last <laughs> stop on the you know a train before I start making animal sacrifices and sleeping in a hyperbaric chamber. Really, hope in a jar? Do they think we're that ridiculous? We're going to buy hope in a jar? You know, this is the cosmeceutical industry, which they've you know conflated the word um, cosmetics and pharmaceuticals. Now, actually, there is no real standard. I did a lot of research on this just for this comedy book. I thought, there's, there's no such thing as a cosmeceutical, but, you know, the people who sell you this stuff, they're also wearing white lab coats like they're doctors, <laughs> and they're not. They're makeup <laughs> artists, you know. So you just have to, you have to laugh about it, in my opinion. And that's, that's one of the ways that you uh, embrace this age and is, is, is um, well, I always say that, you know, my, my health insurance plan can't cancel my, uh, my sense of humor. Uh-huh. All right. So, so when your age actually is officially beyond, that's when you need hope in a jar. So, <laughs> so I, I get that now. And, folks, we're talking with Annabelle Gerwich, who has written a, a book that's called I See You Made an Effort. And, and you've got to explain the title to us. I love it, but I don't know why. Where, where did that okay, come from? I'll tell you why. You know, first of all, the truth is, it takes a lot of effort at this age. You know, there's the amount of 
exercise you're supposed to get and you have to vary your weight bearing and your strength building and your cardio and then there's the amount of and you know you're supposed to take vitamin A and vitamin D and if any day you read the paper they'll tell you take this amount no take this amount this could be it's and there's all these things you're you're supposed to do there's the amount of money you have to save to send your kid to college the amount of money you have to save so you don't end up in an elder hostel in Uzbekistan there's a lot of a lot of stuff you have to do and um this is where the indignity comes in. I I was getting dressed to go to an audition because I, I am an actress, and, you know, in Hollywood, 50 is 80 in actress years. So um, I'm making an effort, and uh, I'm all dressed up. I mean, I got really dressed. I was going to my hairdresser to get my hair blow-dried, and I walk in, and uh, he says, Oh, I see you made an effort. And I thought, Oh, my God, is it is this as good as it gets? Is is, is this... Is this it? You know, and um, you know, I just thought people don't even realize when they say things to you. A friend of mine said to me she realized she had reached a certain age when other women were offering their seats on the subway. <laughs> oh, okay. I guess that means I've gotten to be a certain age. And Annabelle, you talk about being an actress, and you say the biggest mistake we make is to look to actresses or female rock stars or whatever for examples of how we should look or how we should age. It's it's so true. You know, um, I think that's and that's again one of those ways in which I think you know the media the media does us a lot of you know there's a lot of great things out there. At the same time, you know, when I was turning fifty, because as I said, I'm fifty three now. Um, it took me. I thought I would write this book. Um, and I started it when I was forty nine. I thought I'll, I'll write it and it'll come out when I turn fifty. There'll be a big party. And of course, I've got you know menopausal brain. It took me two years longer to write the book. <laughs> so. Um, uh, I started thinking about how a lot of people were turning 50. There's, you know, the, Brad Pitt's turning 50, and Al McPherson was turning 50, and they're making it look so good, but you don't know what you're looking at. I mean, look, they were Brad Pitt and Al McPherson to begin with, and they have trainers who work out every inch of their body, and people who cook for them, and they make them kale, and they make it taste like it's not kale. And so you don't, you don't know what you're looking at, and that makes, I think, the rest of us feel like, well, why can't I look that good at this age? And so, you know, I, I'm i all for um, full disclosure. So in the book, I talk about all the ridiculous things. I really call it a zero-sum game because I've had a little Botox here and a little filler there, and, and it eventually goes away, and you just look older than you did to begin with. And um, so I, I try to, you know, write about that with a lot of honesty and sense of humor because, again, that is the that is the biggest salve. But I do think it's very confusing for people, and that's why it's one of the reasons why I wrote this book was I think so many of us and uh, find ourselves, you know, in a way where we don't have a template for aging. Um, you know, we're we're in the sandwich generation. I don't know how old you guys are, but you know. For many of my friends, we had kids late, so I'm going through menopause while my kid is going through puberty. I mean, at any given moment, I might have more chin hairs uh, than my son, my teenage son. Now, that is terrifying. Well, you know, there's no question, Annabelle. We're in down to our final 20 seconds, but we've all been brainwashed to some extent by the culture, by the media. What you're doing, you know, kudos to you. And I love the fact that you tell anybody that will listen that you're 53 years old because you are smashing the negative stereotypes by showing us that 53 can be clever and witty and sexy and fun and all of that. And you are every bit of that. So thanks so much for doing what you're doing. 
Oh, thank you guys so much. Yeah, go for it, everybody. Let me remind them the book's called I See You Made an Effort. You've got to pick it up, read it, and always follow. Up next, how one woman's life turned completely around when after years of ignoring it, she finally went back to her childhood dream. Support for Growing Boulder provided by... Our partners at Florida Blue Medicare. It's important to know what's covered, so together we've created a guide that makes Medicare easy to understand. More information at growingbolder.com slash guide. Check out Growing Boulder TV, airing on public television stations nationwide. Visit growingbolder.com slash TV for program listings and where to watch. You're listening to Growing Boulder with Mark and Bill, and if you're ready to make a big change in your life, it never hurts to be sure that you have the right kind of people around you because change always takes support, encouragement, and a little bit of help. You know, it's kind of weird, Mark. It's not uncommon for the people around you to actually discourage change. Sometimes it's to try to protect you, to keep you from failing, or to make sure you do what's safe. Parents can end up doing that to their kids without even realizing it. And as we're about to learn, when that happens, it can take a lifetime to overcome. I've been making you wrong. Even as a child, Lisa Firestone felt it. She was drawn to music, especially the piano. By the age of five, I was doing recitals and, and um, clearly like showing talent. They didn't realize it, but her parents inadvertently discouraged her dream simply by trying to protect her. But constantly cautioning someone to have a plan B, well, that can turn into a self-fulfilling prophecy. I hope you have something to fall back on. Yeah, I got something to fall back. You got the piano lessons, you got the... I mean, I was falling back for decades. So she fell back into a job as a secretary. She got married and started a family. But her marriage fell apart. Not knowing where to turn, she returned to the piano. Nothing else is going to do. I don't care if I'm poor, and I was very poor when I started out because I was a new, newly single mom, divorced, two small children, traveling all over, trying to make a few bucks with, with a few homemade record sales. So it was rough there. Realizing it's a business dominated by the young, she knew to succeed, she'd have to have a different approach. I found myself at the piano, and, and I thought, what, what does it mean to grow older? What makes this beautiful? How can I do this and, and do it gracefully? Something came out. It was very sweet. It's called Each Passing Year. Eyes get softer, tears fall freer. Lisa Firestone had found her niche, 
Writing songs deep enough to touch mature listeners, but honest enough to touch everyone. I feel like I'm just starting. I mean, I'm just now getting my band together, and I'm getting, um, yeah, I've just launched my website. I just created this new record, and, and I'm thinking, <laughs> you know, I'm no Britney Spears. I'm not going to be the next Madonna. The way I look at it is if someone thinks I'm too old, they're not a fit for what I'm doing anyway. You know, they can go find, they can go purchase Justin Bieber. They can, they can get the stuff they need, you know? And I, I see behind your eyes I think we've got a situation there's something else Lisa had to get over, something that affects everyone who takes a risk, especially in her business, the fear of rejection. The truth is I'm never going to please everyone. Not everyone's going to get it. You know, I'm not a perfect voice, and I'm not a perfect player, but I can access that part of me in a perfect way and express that to help other people have a safe place to land. Looking back, she can't help but think about the years she lost, the years she could have spent developing her craft. Her passion had been clear since childhood. So why did her world have to fall apart to find it? I would say it's about getting past this cliché of follow your heart as though it were a cliché and shut up and listen. Like, shut up, tune out, get alone. Be alone, be in nature, be somewhere quiet, you know, where it's just you and your maker, and listen. Spirit makes it easy, cause no matter what's around me, I love has found me, and I'm letting go. It's a lesson that a lucky few figure out early on. Most have to work at it, just like Lisa. But she's proof of what can happen once you're on the right track, even when it takes time to find it. I didn't really know how to say what I can say now, back then. I would have established my... It would have been great to evolve and be the next Sting or Petey Gabriel, you know, having that evolution be a process, but... I know what to say now. I know it's, I'm clear. I know what I want to say. I know what's worth saying. I think I got something worth saying. Each passing Very nice stuff. You know, hers is a type of story we hear over and over again about somebody who had a passion, a dream when they were young that they pushed aside for the realities of life. And only when they get a ways down the road do they feel that something was missing. And at least in the case of Lisa Firestone, when she returned to it, everything else seemed to fall into place. Yeah, you no longer have to feel sorry for yourself, folks, because it is never too late to reconnect with that. A lot of people now, Bill, writing songs about this stage of life. What's interesting about her 
hers is that they're not really about the stereotypes of age. She's singing about the journey of life and the things that she's been through personally. And, and really, there's no greater teacher than experience, and she's now using hers to create a unique sound of her own. If you'd like to learn more about Lisa Firestone, just go to lisafirestone.com. Up next, he was born with cerebral palsy, and he's totally changing what you'd think is possible for someone with a disability. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by... The Center for Health and Well-Being, now open in Winter Park. Wholeness, fitness, and medicine together in one convenient location, offering programs and services to promote healthy living and positive aging. More at yourhealthandwellbeing.org. Sign up for the Growing Boulder Insider Newsletter, delivered to your inbox every week. Be the first to see our latest interviews, stories, and tips for making each day count. Sign up today at growingbolder.com. Passion, enthusiasm, and optimism are the cornerstones of a successful life. They can make up for a lack of experience when we're younger and overcome age bias when we're older. As we grow older, it's imperative that we surround ourselves with those who share our enthusiasm for life because no attitude is as potentially harmful as a negative belief system about aging. While the power of positive thinking is well documented, far less attention has been given to the power of negative thinking. In fact, research reveals that negative begets negative far more than positive begets positive. While positive thinking alone won't ensure the success of any personal comeback or reinvention, negative thinking alone will quickly doom it. Negative thinking leads directly to anxiety, depression, low self-esteem, lack of self-confidence, unhealthy behaviors, and ultimately sickness. As we begin to encounter the challenges of age, positivity is important, but avoiding negativity is crucial. Ditch the Debbie Downers, the sad sacks, and the energy vampires. There's an ever-increasing group of active, passionate, engaged seniors who talk about opportunity instead of disability. They're the age disruptors. Find them and hang out with them as if your life depended upon it, because it does. You are listening to the Growing Boulder Radio Program with Mark and Bill. Time now for one of our favorites, our Surviving and Thriving interview. And, man, we see it all the time, Bill, with the right kind of care and support, and especially with the right attitude. It's possible to not only survive life's greatest challenges, but to actually thrive in the aftermath. You can say that, Mark, but wouldn't it be better if we had an example? Let's have one. Maybe somebody born with a disability. Maybe somebody born with a disability but didn't even know he was. His parents knew it, but they refused refused to limit his dreams. And how's he done so far? Well, despite cerebral palsy, he's climbed one of the world's greatest mountains. He completed an Ironman triathlon, created a foundation, and raised more than a million dollars for children with disabilities. But wait, there is more. He is also the author of the book, One More Step, My Story of Living with Cerebral Palsy, Climbing Kilimanjaro, and Surviving the Hardest Race on Earth. We are pleased and honored to say hello to Bonner Paddock. Hey, Bonner, how are you? 
How are you doing? That's the best intro ever. I need to take you guys around for everywhere. You, you know what? Uh, we're not that expensive. We're available, Bonner. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you know, Bill said you didn't know you had a disability. I'm intrigued by that. How is that possible? I think as a child, when you're unsure your family gets something, they know something's wrong, um, they decided not to really make a big deal or talk about that maybe I walked funny. And yes, you know, kids made fun of you, but when your parents kind of say, you know, look, we're going to stay focused on play with your brothers, go out and just invite your friends and everything. It was a thing that until 11 years old, we didn't even truly know what I had. We'd seen doctors here or there when I break bones and I trip a lot and everything like that. You kind of know something's wrong, but as a kid, you don't really worry about, I think, those things until someone actually brings it up. And as you know, like kids are, you know, boom, onto something else three seconds later and running around and playing. So it was a thing the family just decided not to really address and say, Bonner, you know, this is what you got, even after 11 years old diagnosed properly. They just kind of said, look, let him go play with his older brothers. He's doing pretty well. Um, let's not get it in his head that, you know, he's got something different. So that was kind of the route that they took. And Bonner, they they were kind of right, too, weren't they? Because as I read your story and learn more about you, it's not the reaction from others that's the most hurtful, but it's simply learning to truly believe in yourself when you have a disability. Yeah, and I think it's too, it's hard to be, you know, everybody can be the Monday morning quarterback, as they say, on anything. And I think meeting so many families now, the healthiest way truly is that you do kind of talk about it. You tell them that, you know, what it is so that they can have confidence of who they are as a person and identify with either both their strengths and obviously some of their biggest areas that may be a challenge. And I think when you kind of encourage people and know what they've got and embrace it versus hide it, uh, in adult life, I kind of had that identity problem in the beginning of, you know, who am I? I don't even know what really CP is, didn't even know what type of cerebral palsy I had, and then really had a distrust kind of, of, you know, things of all these, you know, tests and everything that I had to do and why I was going to physical therapy every day after school. It really wasn't one of those things that you're like, okay, I got CP, I'll get over it, I'm fine, you know, everything else. It was just kind of like we did these things without really having a full understanding of why and what. But you endured, you persisted, uh, you, you survived, and, and that, of course, is is part of thriving in the aftermath. And, and maybe that part of your life began when you got a great job in management with the Anaheim Ducks hockey team, and you met the son of one of your, your co-workers, a little boy by the name of Jake Robert. In an instant, at least it seems this way, your entire life changed. Tell us how and why. Yeah, absolutely. When I worked for the Anaheim Ducks, the owners, the Samuelis, were awesome, and they were so giving back to the community that when we were in the lockout, NHL lockout of 04 and 05, they literally encouraged us to go join a charity of our choice. And so that was my first time that I had ever written on that job application or let my boss know before they hired me that I had cerebral palsy. So for me, that was a huge step in confidence of saying it's okay, I think they'll accept me, especially the Samueli family and that Ducks organization. And sure enough, they hired me and everything else. So that was kind of my empowerment moment on the professional side that it's okay to have CP in the workforce and you know you can get the job on your own regardless of what you have. And it basically led to me volunteering or trying to volunteer at UCP of Orange County. And on the board of UCP of Orange County was Jakey's dad where I met him on that first meeting. And standing in front of the board, telling first time, telling a large group of people, you know, my story. And that was 
a huge, huge moment for me. And he was the first person to send me an email that night that I gave his family hope for their son, you know, Jakey. And that, that was just an empowering moment when someone believes in you for when you're being honest about who you are and maybe something that you feared more than anything. And really it actually was nothing to fear at all that these people were embracing me and you know, welcoming me into the community. It was, it was for me, it was just like a lightning rod of great uh, positive and confidence for sure. So let me tell everybody what this lightning rod ended up doing. You became a voracious fundraiser. You pushed your body to run a half marathon, then a full marathon. Then you became the first person with cerebral palsy ever to climb Kilimanjaro, then a Kona Ironman, and then you started this foundation, One Man, One Mission. That's a crazy little ride when you say it like that. <laughs> It's definitely uh, an amazing uh, run that the last 10 years. And again, it's, I think it goes back to so many people that have believed in me and really stepped forward and say, you know, we want to support you and this is incredible. And when you get that kind of positive momentum and people in your life like that, they really helped me kind of deal with all my frustration and everything that I had as a kid that I didn't know how to process it with teasing and everything else like that. I moved, you know, move forward and you got all these positive people. It's just, it's an empowering thing to have that type of um, people behind you when you do. It just shows you kind of what is able to be done. And Bonner, you're turning it around to help others along the way. In 15 seconds or so, can you give us like the one sentence takeaway? What can we learn from what you've been through? I think it's, we all put our limits on ourselves. 95% of our issues or things we are we choose not to do is through our own choice and our own attitude, and we control that every day. Most people will blame and make excuses like I did for 30 years, but truly it's about our own mind making it up and believing in ourselves. And the key is if he can do it, all of us are capable of making that change, too. I'm telling you, this book is beyond inspiring. It's called One More Step. You can find the book and learn more about its author at the number one, onemanonemission.org. Our thanks to Bonner Paddock. Coming up, a nationally known TV commentator who kept a secret for 20 years. What happened when she finally revealed it? Next on Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by Winter Park's new Crosby Wellness Center at the Center for Health and Well-Being. More than just a gym, it features unique medically integrated programs, activities for all ages and skill levels, and free group exercise classes with memberships. More at CrosbyWellnessCenter.org. Stay connected to Growing Boulder for daily doses of hope, inspiration, and possibility. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for our latest stories and motivational pictures. My guard stood hard when abstract threats to noble, to neglect. This is Growing Boulder. I'm Mark Middleton. That guy over there is Bill Schaefer. And imagine living with a secret for 20 years or so, one that you worried about every single day, terrified that somebody would find out, and everything you'd ever work for your entire career might be over just like that. Yeah, that wouldn't be too good, would it? But that was the life of our next guest. You couldn't tell by looking at her. I mean, she'd worked hard to become the go-to on-camera choice whenever the Today Show or Oprah or Regis needed an expert on beauty, fashion, or lifestyle. And 
She made sure to hide the pain she was in until she couldn't just do it anymore. Christine Schwab is with us now. And Christine, when you tell us what your secret was, we're going to sort of wonder why were you so afraid to reveal it? I know. Well, that's what that's what everybody thinks. But, you know, a secret to somebody is, is they keep it a secret for a reason. And my secret was that I had been diagnosed that 20 years ago with rheumatoid arthritis. And all I heard was the word arthritis, and all I associated it with was watching the telethons with my mother when I was a child. And I thought it was just something that old people got, you know, and, and I had no idea about the disease. But all I knew is that it didn't work with being a fashion and style reporter on national television. Um, and it wouldn't have worked. I mean, I really, in hindsight, I I understood why I had to keep it a secret. And I think I'm glad that I did at the time because it would have ruined my career. It would have. You know, that's a whole other topic that, that that is very, very sad. But, you know, we live in this celebrity-driven culture, Christine. And, you know, sometimes right. I think that the highest use of a celebrity is simply to reveal all of the stuff in their lives that, that, that the rest of us have as well but don't talk about. And, and you really have done that. And, and kudos to you because you wrote an amazing book called Take Me Home from the Oscars where you explain this fear and the image that you had of what someone with rheumatoid arthritis was like, and I think you've helped a lot of people because of that. Right. I, I, I hope so, and I continue to be very active in it. Now, it, my passion is is children, because I only thought arthritis was a disease of the old, and I wasn't old, and I didn't understand, you know, that there's two kinds of arthritis. There's the osteo, which is just what everybody gets a little bit of because of wear and tear on their joints. So it is associated with being old, but rheumatoid arthritis is an autoimmune disease. It's like lupus. It's like all the autoimmune diseases that we're now so familiar with. But 20 years ago, we didn't really talk about autoimmune. But now I've fallen in love with all these little children because babies, toddlers, you know, five-year-olds, teenagers get rheumatoid arthritis. And they're so misunderstood and people just don't understand it. So now, instead of talking about what are the latest shoes to wear, I talk about these kids and these teenagers and and create awareness for them and hope for them because there is so much hope. And I'm one of the lucky ones that have been in remission for the last 17 years because of all the new great medications that are out there. So, you know, it's a different kind of message than fashion. Um, and I'm really loving it. I'm loving working with these children and, and their families. And, Christine, you could have stopped after you wrote the book. I mean, you did your part. You got exposure <laughs> for it. But you didn't. You created something called Christine's Kids. Tell us, tell us about that. Well, yeah, once, you know, once I start talking, you guys, I couldn't stop. I mean, that's just my M.O. I used to love to talk about fashion. But once I found out about these children, which I had no idea until I wrote the book and came out, I had no idea that children had it. And when I found out and I, and I realized the journey that I had been through for the 20 years of keeping secret, and I realized all these parents, they don't understand the journey because their children are going through it, not them. And they're misunderstood. So I started a, a little Facebook page. I'd never been on social media. I started this little Facebook page called Christine's Kids. And it has now grown, and many weeks we have 25, 27,000 people viewing the page. And every week I have a different uh, 
child or teenager that has juvenile arthritis, that's what it's called, and they're my superheroes because I think these kids are really and truly, you guys, superheroes. Um, what they go through and their journey is so much harder for them, actually, than an adult because they're children, and it takes away a lot of their childhood, this disease. So every week I have a new superhero who's my cover uh, story, and uh, their parents or the child, if they're like an older child or a teenager, they share their journey. And it has just attracted people from all over the world that, that have this disease, that know somebody that has this disease. And we share, and it's so wonderful because when somebody is, is in the hospital and they're having a tough time with the disease, everybody comes and sends them cheers and good wishes and and shares their journeys with them. So it's become a wonderful community that's all about positivity and hope and support for other people that are going through the same same journey. We absolutely love that. We're talking with Christine Schwab, folks, who for decades made her career as as a fashion expert. She was the go-to gal for many major media networks, and now she's really reinvented herself as an advocate for juvenile arthritis. And, and Christine, you've explained to us what you do. Uh, what do you want us to do? What, what, how can people help? Uh, what's your message? Well, my message really, come to the page and like us and see what we're doing and become, you know, familiar with these children because not only do many doctors don't understand about juvenile arthritis. For example, a mother will take her little child that's trying to walk to the doctor because she can't walk. She's crying all the time when she tries to walk. And there, there's this, such a shortage of uh, pediatric rheumatologists in our country, a serious shortage, that the doctor will say, you know, lady, your, your child's just slow. They'll walk when they want to. Teachers at school will say, you know, your kid's not playing sports. They're just lazy because there's so much misunderstanding. So what I would ask of you guys and all of your wonderful people is to help us spread the word that kids do get arthritis. They really do. 300,000 children in the U.S. alone have it, plus all over the world. And they are misunderstood, and they're bullied at school because they can't play sports or they they miss a lot of school and get behind. So there's so much, there's just so much um, unknown for these children. And I think to help spread the word. And my goal is to get a big celebrity to come forward. It's just like I kept secret for 20 years. There's a lot of celebrities out there, and they know who they are, that have kids that have juvenile arthritis, and they don't come forward. And I understand, because I didn't. I understand because they don't want their kids associated with a disease that people don't understand. But if we can get some big celebrities to come forward, they can make a difference and take the stigma away from the word arthritis that happens to be in juvenile arthritis, and, and let these kids be understood and have a natural childhood. You know, Christine, first of all, we want to applaud you for taking that first step to making a difference because that's what we all need to find a way to do in life. You found a great cause. And boy, what an interesting journey she's had, folks, through her own life from growing up in the foster home system to getting to go to the Oscars, from the public celebrities she knows to the anonymous children living in pain. She wants to make a difference. Find out yourself more at either christineschwab.com or on Facebook at Christine Kids. And let's see if we can make the world a little bit better for kids with juvenile arthritis. Thanks, Christine. 
Up next, do you know when to hold them? When to fold them? Well, the guy who does opens up about his fascinating life story. It's Kenny Rogers himself, next on Growing Boulder. Subscribe to Growing Boulder magazine, now with more information, articles, and photos than ever before. This quarterly publication is unlike any other, filled with the kind of inspiration you need to live your life to the fullest. More information at growingboulder.com slash subscribe. Miss an episode of Growing Boulder Radio? Subscribe to our podcast and get it on your mobile device. Details at growingboulder.com slash podcasts. The following interview was recorded before the passing of our guest. You got to know when to hold them. Know when to fold them. Know when to walk away. And know when to run. You never count your money. When you're sitting at the table, there'll be time enough for counting. When the dealing's done. You're listening to Growing Boulder. Got a big fish on the line now, so we're going to get right to it. He is a country star, pop star, record producer, photographer, actor, entrepreneur, autobiographer, novelist, philanthropist, and that's all one guy. Oh, did I mention he's in the Country Music Hall of Fame? Oh, you knew that? Well, did you know how irritating Kenny Rogers can be at a poker table? Yeah, we've got Kenny Rogers on the phone right now. Kenny, that commercial is hilarious, and you're a pretty good... It is funny. You know, I don't like to do commercials as a rule but when they call me about that i say you know i have to do that and we did it about 10 or 12 different ways and the guy said well why don't you try to sing one and that's where that one came from so i have to tell you we just finished a tour in australia and while i was done it they don't even have a taiko down there but at the end of the gambler i would tell them you know uh, if a man's lucky he finds out something new about himself every day. I just found out how annoying I can be. <laughs> and, they were pretty, and they thought that was the funniest thing. Well, so we, it worked well. We found out something we knew all along and that you have a great sense of humor and you kind of really have a great perspective on life. And maybe that's because of this incredible journey that you've been on. You were born with nothing. I mean, virtual poverty. And the story's great, Kenny. You and your sister went to a show, and the light went on in your head, and you could suddenly see your future. Who did you see, and is that true? It is true. It was Ray Charles, and I sat there and looked around. I'm like 10 or 11 years old, and I watched, and I thought, wow, here's a guy that's doing things. Everybody loves him. Everybody claps for every song he does. They laugh at everything he says. I said, who wouldn't want to do that? So I don't know that I started the process at that point, but that concept always stuck with me, and Ray became a good friend of mine. And then moving on, you went into a group when you were in high school called the Scholars, so I'm guessing you must have been a pretty good student. Well, we were all uh, C students, legitimately. <laughs> so music, was, it wasn't a bad career choice. Oh, no. I mean, I've been so lucky. And you know, the thing is, my mom gave me a piece of advice when I was young. She said, son, always be happy where you are. Never be content to be there. But if you're not happy where you are, you'll never be happy. So even when I've had down points in my career, I've always been happy. I've always said, hey, I'm still making music. 
and and consequently, I think when you take that attitude, I've always said, I'm always amazed how much somebody will do for someone they like and how little they will do for someone they don't like. So when I was down, I think there were enough people who liked me and liked my attitude and said, we want to make something happen for you. So that's how it happened, and I, I, I thank everybody involved in my career. You know, Kenny, people hearing that would probably forget that you haven't always been Kenny Rogers, capital K, capital R, that there have been tough times. What is it that you pulled on to get you through? How did you overcome your obstacles? Well, again, I was making a living, and I was doing what I wanted to do, and it was better than where I came from. Mm. And I just kept looking for songs. I didn't even, I never thought I would be an international success. I didn't even care. I, local success was fine for me. And I had that. So uh, it was just one of those things that if you stay with it long enough and you put your heart in it, good things will happen. And they're still happening. Listen, folks, I, I, let me play a little bit of a, a tremendous song off a recent album called You Can't Make Old Friends because here's proof that this guy still got it. What will I do when you're gone? Who's going to tell me the truth? Who's going to finish the stories I start? Where you always do when somebody Kenny, that is absolutely beautiful. That's a, a duet you did with Dolly Parton. Heartfelt. It's you know deep. what's so great about that? We were doing that song. And it's really very touching, the two of us, because it was written about our life and our relationship by Don Schlitz, the same guy that wrote The Gambler. Gambler. Right. Yeah. And so we were singing this song, and I looked up and Dolly had left her microphone and come all the way around into my booth, put her arms around my neck, and she said, Kenny, I want you to know something. I could never sing at your funeral. And I was like, what? <laughs> Are we assuming I'm going first? Is that what you're saying? But that is so Dolly. But it was, it was a very sweet moment in our lives and our career. So I'm thrilled about that. And I think, Kenny, your fans feel that songs are personally sent out to them. I know you're in your late 70s now, and I had to stop and look that up because you don't look it, you don't act it, and I'm telling you, you don't sound it. How are you doing, and what is it like to be you today? Well, I have no original working body parts. <laughs> Other than that, I'm fine. You know, I just, uh, you know, I, I keep going, and I feel good. I just don't get around. My mobility is not as good. But I'm thinking I might ride a ride one of those mopeds or what do they call those things <laughs> that you stand on? Yeah. Um, Sedgeways. I might ride one of those on stage next time. Well, make sure you wear a helmet if you do. Those things are crazy. Uh, yeah. The, the guy that invented that got killed on it. Hey, you know, just just so people know, and maybe it's because you grew up with nothing, that you've been so generous with your success, including a very cool children's hospital that you support in Sykeston, Missouri. Right. That's a very important thing to me. When I was working there, I was raising Arabian horses. And uh, every time I'd go in there, they would seem to be struggling. And I knew they had a auction every year. So I gave them this big Arabian stallion 
and they got seventy or ninety thousand dollars for him at the auction, and that was the start of their 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 uh, hospital. Man, they started out with five hundred patients. They're now doing five thousand people a year, and we don't charge the families anything. That's incredible, Kennedy, and that's that's the way to pay things forward, to move forward, but always give back. You've had such an interesting view of life, Kenny. In the final minute or so we have, what, what's the takeaway? What can we learn from what Kenny Rogers has seen of life? Well, you know, I think I got my wisdom from my mother and my humor from my dad. My dad was very funny. And I think if you have humor, you can overcome a lot of obstacles. If you can't laugh at something, you're going to be destined to stay there. So I say, no matter what hits you, it's temporary if you let it be temporary. It's permanent if you let it be permanent. Great words of wisdom there. And Kenny Rogers is somebody who's always appreciated his audience, always appreciated the record buyers and the concert goers. And folks, I know we all love the hits, but make sure you give his recent music a listen because you're going to be surprised all the way around by how solid it is and how heartfelt these songs are, especially on the album You Can't Make Old Friends. He's still touring. Make sure you go see him if you have a chance. Folks, our thanks to the great Kenny Rogers. When somebody knocks at the door, someone new walks in. I will smile and shake their hand, but you can't make old friends. You can't make old, old friends. You can't make old It was me and you since way back when, but you can't make old friends. How will I sing when you're gone? Because it won't sound the same. Join in on those harmony parts when I call your name. You can't make old old friends. Can't make old friends. It was you and me since way back when. You can't.
And if you haven't already, check out Growing Boulder TV on public television stations around the country. And we invite you to subscribe to our one-of-a-kind Growing Boulder magazine, packed with inspiring stories, tips, tools, everything you need to help make the rest of your life the best of your life. Yeah, you know what? It's also the perfect gift for anyone you know who needs a little inspiration to get off the couch and get into life. Just go to growingbolder.com slash subscribe, where you can also sign up for our free newsletter. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook as well. Folks, we will see you next time right here. Growing Boulder is a production of Boulder Broadcasting. All rights reserved. This program was recorded at Growing Boulder Studios in Orlando and is available as a weekly podcast on NPR One, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play Music, Stitcher, and TuneIn. It is written and produced by Jill Middleton, Mark Middleton, and Bill Schaefer. Executive producers are Jackie Carlin, Robert Thompson, and Emily Thompson. Technical director is Jason Morrow. Production manager is Michael Nannis. Chief audio engineer is Mac Dula. And our most important team member is you. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to keep growing bolder every day. Crimson flames tied through my ears.